Good morning. Uh, we are on page 404 of your church Bibles. Uh, Isaiah chapter 66. I'll give you a moment to turn there. As uh, Becky and I are awaiting uh, baby number three, we're about a month away according to the due date. And uh, we, we're wondering how labor is going to go this time. Because the, uh, the first two, they, they probably couldn't have been any more different. If they tried, the, the first one began with weeks over the due date, uh, a visit that, that ended with news of a failing placenta, fairly rapid turnaround to induction, which lasted about 24 hours and ended with about six hours of pushing. Cute kid, though. Now, now the second time, don't get me wrong, it was still labor, <laughs> but it was like the blink of an eye compared with the first time. A couple hours after we got to the hospital, we were holding the baby. Now, I probably don't need to, to even ask you, uh, those of you that are mothers, you know, which, which labor scenario would you prefer? But I will ask you this seemingly unrelated but very related question. Of those two scenarios, which one of those would you say describes life as a Christian? Scenario one, scenario two. Well, as I, as I get older, um, I would probably be more likely to compare my scenario, my life as a Christian, to the the first option. Because it's full of unexpected, painful surprises and really hard decisions have to be made at every turn. And it seems to go on forever. And you know, I don't mind pain, but I just kind of wish things would be a little easier, you know? But, eternally speaking, and at the heart of today's text, the Christian life is a lot closer to the second scenario. It's painful for a little while, But pretty straightforward and eternally speaking, the hard part is over in the blink of an eye. And if you've been with us for the past year or so, we're nearly done with our study of the book of Isaiah. Blink of an eye, right? (laughs) And then last week's text, the Lord refreshed his people with a clear vision of the end goal, the new creation, or in labor terms, the baby at the end. (laughs) This week, they're going to learn that they can know if they're on the right road to get there, if it's straight, and they're going to know exactly what that road is going to look like. So if you've ever asked God, I, I just, I just, God, would you help me know how my life is going to turn out? Buckle up. 
So, may we know as they know. We're going to start in Isaiah chapter 66 with the first four verses. And let's take a look at what that road is going to look like and how we know if we're on it. First four verses. This is point number one. First identifier that we know we're on the correct road, and that is we humbly obey his word. First four verses. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my home and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. They have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Okay, the first thing that Isaiah is saying is this. What the Lord regards is people who tremble at his word. What the Lord regards is people who tremble at his word. Let me first explain as the text does how strange it is that the Lord would regard anyone. Look at verse 1. The Lord is above heaven and earth, comparing the earth to a footstool. I mean, this is how the book of Isaiah started out. The Lord then pauses to consider, what is the house that you would build for me? And that would be the temple from an Israelite's perspective or the greatest house that could be offered. And the Lord said, what is that? One reason why the Lord's not impressed is verse 2. The temple, the heavens, even the earth, they belong to the Lord anyway. You know, it's like, hey Lord, we built you this cathedral, this temple, and it's made of gold. And the Lord's like, I made gold. What is this? What is worth his attention? It's right there in verse 2. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's what the Lord wants. Humility, contrition, people who hear his word and tremble. Or in short, people who hear his word and and do it. They obey. Right away, parents. Obey, right away. Obey, right away, please. (laughs) 
In other words, keep your fancy temples. He doesn't regard them and he doesn't regard the sacrifices made in them. In fact, verse 3 compares these sacrifices to murder. You're just killing animals. Nothing's happening. A ritual meant to signify cleanliness is actually regarded as unclean as pig's blood. But right there in verse 3, these people don't just keep doing that. They delight in those things. Look at how much we're doing. Look at how high that stack of sacrifices is. They're esteeming their work and the Lord is not even looking at it. It means nothing. Why is that? I thought about it and when you strip away all the busy work, they're not trembling. They're not thinking about the Lord They've missed the one thing that matters. And so their payment is verse 4. The Lord will bring their fears on them. Which makes sense if you think about the sacrificial system. Because where they and where people want the assurance of forgiveness that is normally granted by the sacrificial system, he will give them fear instead. And I do think that fear is the opposite of assurance. In other words, they'll just busy themselves to death, fearing all the while, am I forgiven? Am I really good enough? So Lord, you don't want me? And when you think about it, that's worse than trembling now, isn't it? There's no assurance. In short, there's one thing that the Lord regards and nothing else matters. He regards those who tremble, who hear his word and do it. Francis Chan illustrates this very well. Say you ask your child to go clean their room. And they come back two hours later and they say, Dad, I memorized what you said. I remembered that you told me to clean my room. I can say it in Greek. I wrote a song about cleaning my room. In fact, my friends are coming over later and we're going to do a Bible study on what it would look like for us to clean our rooms. So many people do so many things in the name of the Lord and they miss the one thing that matters. They don't obey. And it's cute when a kid does it. But if you're a parent, you know it's not cute. We got a problem. We have a big problem. And we grow up and we do big things, don't we? God, I went to seminary. 
God, I've volunteered so much. God, I gave up a lucrative career for you. God, I built such a huge church. God, I gave you my life. God, I learned Greek. And those things are fine. But if they do not cause us, if they do not come out of hearts of trembling obedience, and if we do all those things without obeying the Lord, they are nothing. The Lord will not regard those things. So if all those things aren't clear evidence of trembling obedience, how do we know what it looks like? And I think that's point two. The next road mark, the next identifier that we are on the right road is that we are hated and cast out by the old creation. Let me read verses five and six. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. The second thing Isaiah is saying is this. Rejection follows obedience, but the Lord will will win. Rejection follows obedience, but the Lord will win. To those of us who are fighting to tremble and obey, listen, the Lord says in verse 5, listen, you will be hated and cast out. In other words, if you obey, this will follow. Who's doing the rejecting? Who's doing the the hating and the casting out? Look at verse 5. This is where it turns a bit strange. Your brothers. Historically speaking, fellow Israelites. For us, people who go to church. And they're going to say, as they do it, let the Lord be glorified. In other words, the person person standing at the gate, as the obedient ones are, are drug out and killed, are going to be people who think they are doing the Lord a favor. And we've, we, we, get these, we get these stereotypical images, you know? It's going to be the liberal atheist. It's going to be the religious extremist. Now that might happen, but this is the primary audience that Isaiah is saying are going to punish and reject and hate the obedient. People who go to church. Religious people 
probably people who look pretty nice. If that sounds unbelievable, consider who killed Jesus. The religious. Now, if you're like me and you hear that, I'd rather learn Greek. I'd rather go to seminary. I'd rather rather busy myself because this seems like a terrible payoff, doesn't it? We tremble and we obey and our, our payoff is we get rejected by people who are misrepresenting the Lord. I don't want to go out like that. But here's why their rejection isn't the end. Here's why we can do it with hope. The Lord will win. Look at verse 6. His enemies will be paid back. In the end, no matter where we're at on the timeline, at the end of it, they're going to be the ones shamed. And what this means, so you can fight the allergic reaction that you get whenever you face rejection... This means that rejection is not a sign that something is wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. You can get rejected for doing dumb stuff. But that doesn't automatically mean you're doing it wrong. And it doesn't mean that the Lord's kingdom is losing. In fact, it's, this is normal. In fact... This is actually how it wins. A good illustration of this is the story of William Tyndale. His crime was this. Translating the Bible into English. William Tyndale's work right there. Often the Bibles he worked very hard to help produce were burned... And then he himself was burned alive by the Catholic Church, overseen by King Henry VIII. They thought they were helping. They thought they were doing the Lord a favor. And William Tyndale's last words were this, Lord, open The king of England's eyes. And three years later, those Bibles were not burned anymore. They were distributed to churches all over England by King Henry. Tyndale was a man so humble in obedience to God's word, that he died trying to get it into the hands of his religious enemies. And before I finish the story, didn't it seem like his mission failed? It did not. To see what happens when you're willing to die? His obedience brought rejection, but the Lord won. Small scale. 
And that happens all over the place. So, what motivates us in the same way is not the pain of obedience, but what comes after. And so, as we tremble and as we obey and as we're cast out, the story gets even better. It doesn't just end with people getting Bibles in their own language. Here's what follows obedient rejection. And it's the next marker on how you know if you're on the right path. You anticipate the new creation. Let me read verses 7 through 14. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as Zion was in labor, as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? Says the Lord, shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may, be, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, behold... I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass and the heart of the Lord shall be known to his servants and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. The third thing Isaiah is saying here is that those rejected by the old creation will be satisfied in the new creation. Those rejected by the old creation will be satisfied in the new creation. And first, the satisfaction will come immediately. Verse 7 is an instantaneous welcoming for the rejected. It's like the moment that they're drug out into the street and killed. They're born again into the new Jerusalem. Their delivery into new life is so swift that the labor pains never even start. This is the labor you want. This is the Christian life. And if it sounds unbelievable, the author actually kind of agrees with you. Verse 8. Who has heard or seen such a thing? Look at the satisfaction that follows in verse 11. This new child, this rejected son, 
cast out of the world, is brought up tenderly, being nursed, drinking deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. Shout out to the moms. (laughs) Keep reading through verse 12. This new child carried on the hip, being bounced on a knee. This is the total restoration between the Lord and his people. Man, not cast out of the Garden of Eden in failure, but welcomed onto the Lord's lap in victory. Verse 12 says it probably the best. There will be peace like a river. What does this mean? It means that as we're rejected for obedience, as we're facing what seems to be an uphill climb of rejection, we should look right here. And we should remind ourselves the glories of heaven are worth the sufferings of earth. The glories of heaven are worth the sufferings of earth. This is the anticipation, not that the Lord's people have. Not, God, would you get me out of this? Or rather, God, you're going to get me out of this. This helps us get it right. This helps us continue here on earth, to tremble at his word and obey rather than trembling at the threats of people who don't even know him. Because we know what awaits us. We anticipate it. And here's what the other team can anticipate. It's your last point. The day of judgment. It's something we don't fear. But the Lord's enemies must fear. Let me read verses 15 through 17. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger in fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into gardens following one in the midst eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice shall come to an end Together, declares the Lord. This is the fourth and final thing Isaiah is saying here. Number four, the day of judgment is coming for the Lord's enemies. The day of judgment is coming for the Lord's enemies. Look at verses 15 and 16. And compare them to the baby story we just read. The Lord will come not with tenderness, but with fire. And chariots. And fury. And more fire. And a sword. 
The temple of the Lord will fill up with sacrifices. Not lambs or oxen or grain. But it will fill up with his enemies. Judgment is coming if you don't tremble at the word of God now. And obey now. And this is a warning. And it's actually written to people who may have gone to temples and churches for their whole life. And the Bible is full of warnings like these. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7 that there will be many church-going religious people who will see this on the day of judgment. People with seminary degrees. People with thousands of volunteer hours. People who built lofty temples. People that missed the one thing that matters. Underneath all of their work, they did not tremble. Isaiah said all of this to help Israel know what it will look like to be part of the new creation. You either humbly obey and get rejected, then you get accepted by the Lord, or you will tremble later. And you will be destroyed. Do you tremble at that? Because many of us know from decades of experience that busyness is so much easier than simply obeying. This is why we must tremble at the work of the appointed servant, Jesus. Can I remind you of his work? Let's reconsider your outline. We'll go through it. Point one. Our hope is that the servant Jesus was truly humble and contrite in spirit, trembling at the word of God, his father, obeying right away. And God regarded this. Point two. Our hope is that the servant Jesus whose obedience drove him to be hated and cast out by the old creation, the religious. He offered himself as a, as a sacrifice, even forgiving his enemies as they killed him and thought they were doing God a favor. Point three, our hope is the servant Jesus, who likewise anticipates eternity. He told his disciples, I'm going ahead to prepare a house for you. And our hope is the servant Jesus, point four, who is coming again to judge those who do not tremble. And so our appropriate response to this work is not to keep busying ourselves but to stop 
and to tremble. And then, out of that, we obey. Offering ourselves as living sacrifices. Obeying Jesus by following in his path of suffering. Anticipating eternity. It's not a bad end. That's the road to the new creation. And I hope this morning you know a bit more clearly whether you're on it or not. So how does this apply? I have three applications. Application number one, and this echoes point one, tremble at God's word. When you think about the law of God, when your Bible plan takes you right through the Ten Commandments and all the other laws, do you tremble or do you just continue to live a life trying to busy yourself? Because the license, or I might even say the command that this text in Isaiah gives us is that we should lovingly cut through pretense with ourselves and with other people. What might that look like? It's tricky because we want to do it in a gracious way. But when we meet people who just, their whole life, busy, how you doing, busy, just bought a house, busy, fixing it, busy, raising 15 kids, busy, What it looks like to obey here is to ask questions like, how is the family in that house? How's your marriage? How's your thought life? Doesn't matter what you're doing. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? Are you trembling? Before the Lord? Or you might, people, you might meet people or you might be a person who externalizes. How are you doing? Oh, terrible. The government, man. Oh, it's terrible. You know what the young people are doing? Oh, terrible. Do you know like how crazy the world is? And you pause and you ask that person, even if he's in the mirror, how are you doing? Are you trembling? Let us gently and yet firmly do this. And the reason why I say both of those words is that the Lord is gentle, but on judgment day, he will not be. Now's your chance. You think you're getting yourself into an awkward conversation, but you might be saving someone's life. Perhaps you just might start with yourself and and ask the Lord, Lord, would you help me to read your word and tremble? I'm so busy. Or it's so hard to understand. Lord, I want to. Would you help me 
Or, Lord, would you help me look at the cross and tremble? I've heard the story a million times and it doesn't seem to mean anything anymore. I need to look at this and I need to let it move me. I want to tremble and I want my family to tremble and I want my parents to tremble and I want my friends to tremble. I want my enemies to look on the cross and tremble. Would you start with me? Application number two, do not tremble at the world's rejection. I'll let you talk this one out in small groups, but just to say this, if you have no enemies at all, you probably deeply struggle with the first application. Trembling obedience. You may have so little fear of the Lord that all your fear is reserved for people. I mean, I often view being cast out for obedience sake as a sign that something is wrong. I need to remind myself, this is how the kingdom advances. Through obedient suffering. Lord, would you help me suffer? And as we do that, it points us right to the third application. Anticipate eternity. We're not just enduring it to endure it. Or we're not just enduring it to get Bibles into the hands of people. We get eternity. And we can get it with the Lord. Bouncing on his knee. Because if the word of God makes you tremble... And if you're facing rejection from the world, read verses 17 or 7 through 14 and praise God and his servant Jesus that this world is as bad as it gets. And eternity with the Lord, that's the bulk of it by a lot. But if the word of God does not make you tremble, you should anticipate eternity too. If you would avoid rejection from the world, you should anticipate eternity too. But you should also read verses 15 through 17. And then then tremble. Because if you're putting your hope in this world, this is as good as it gets. I don't know about you, but I look around at the world and I'm like, this isn't much. Friends, let us anticipate eternity. And let us not fear the day of judgment. And let us do that by faithfully being rejected by a world that is passing away anyway. And let us do all of those things by first doing the one thing that matters. Let us look on the word of God and the cross of Jesus and let us tremble. Let's pray. God, your word in Galatians 5.24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Lord, giving up the comforts and the pleasures of this world, facing rejection, it's called killing the flesh. 
And it should feel like death. But Lord, help us to remember that we are giving up something that matters little. And we are exchanging it for what matters completely. Your glory, eternity with you. Lord, help us faithfully tremble and obey. Amen.